Hello everyone and welcome to the first Dairy Pod episode of 2021. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team and today I'm really pleased to say we are kicking off our 2021 series of podcasts with a farmer interview. Colin Thompson is a dairy farmer from Cowra in New South Wales and recently we caught up to discuss his farm system and how it has evolved over the last 15 to 20 years. Colin has a really interesting story to tell about how he changed from a traditional pasture-based system to become a successful total mix ration or TMR farmer. While the majority of farms in Australia are still grazing based, the number of farms transitioning to a system like Colin has been steadily growing in recent years, as variable water availability and weather patterns have affected the more traditional approach to farming. This is particularly true in regions like Northern Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. An important takeaway from this conversation is that even if you don't have a TMR system, Colin has plenty of practices and approaches into farm management that can be applied to every dairy farm in Australia, regardless of the system you're running. I started off by asking Colin to describe the basics of his farming setup. Yeah, we're located at Cowra in the central west of New South Wales in the Lachlan Valley. Um, farm size is around 370 hectares. We milk around 320 cows all year round, producing around 5 million litres per year. Um, the system is a freestall barn system where all the animals are housed in freestalls, including the young stock, and we feed a TMR um, year round. It's a, it's a type of system, Colin, that it's probably getting a little bit more, um, you know, interest in the industry in more recent years. Um, but it's something that you've been running uh, for, for quite some time, uh, you know, could you give us a bit of a background to the evolution of, of how you've arrived at that system today compared to where you might have been, you know, 10 or 15 years ago or however long you've actually been in farming in the region? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I guess I go back a little further than that. I grew up on the on the south coast of New South Wales um, at a place called Maruma. And we had a small coastal dairy farm, a typical coastal dairy farm there, uh, milking around 70 to 80 cows year round. And, uh, at the advent of deregulation, um, deregulation, we decided to relocate our business uh, to care in the central west um, and, and to expand at that time also. So we came to um, a current property and um, a, a greenfield site, no, no dairy, no infrastructure at all on this site, and, um, and began to um, operate our, our dairy farm. Initially, we built a uh, 300 cow feed pad dairy um, and we had loafing paddocks that were surrounding the dairy area. Um, and then the cows would it, come back to the dairy every morning and evening, typical of feed pad dairy. Um, eventually we progressed to milking three times a day on that system. But after about 10 years of that, we, we kind of realized that we had reached the limitations of that system. Um, there were some issues that were coming up that we did need to resolve. So we decided at that point to um, expand the feed pad into a freestyle barn. And, um, and then after, over the last 10 years or so, we've been, uh, I guess, continually adding and improving that system. We've added uh, a section for dry cows and, and now our heifers are housed in the freestyle barn. We've had a cooling system such as fans and foggers and, um, and just to improve cow comfort, we've upgraded our effluent system to handle the additional effluent 
and uh, sand separation that uh, we need to do with the free stall pump. Um, we've also improved over the time um, our water storage system. We have six concrete bunkers that store around 8,000 tonnes of silage. We're just about to um, put in some grain storage uh, or extra grain storage. And uh, so it, it has been a, a gradual um, evolution over the last, uh, probably intensified over the last 10 years. The first 10 years were pretty much devoted to um, figuring out what we needed to do and how to adjust to um, a, a completely different farming system and climate in the Central West and, uh, and what crops uh, would grow and, and, and how to um, yeah, achieve a greater level of production uh, in that system. The last 10 years is, and in particular the last few years has been more about refining our system and, and getting some of the uh, uh, smaller things, I suppose, right to, to really see our production kick along. It's a big difference. Yeah, so that's interesting. You've, you've brought up uh, quite a few uh, interesting comments there, Colin. Uh, Colin. First of all, you mentioned that, um, you know, there were some issues that triggered the move towards the, the freestyle barn approach 10 years ago or so. Um, maybe could you outline what were the issues? You said that you know you'd maybe reached the limitations of the original feed pad system. Um, you know, how much different does the farm look now compared to then? Or what are the main differences in terms of outputs on the farm? Are the is the milk yield per cow higher, or are they eating a little bit more feed compared to when they were on before you had the freestyle barn? Yeah, it it, it has um, significantly changed our whole farming operation actually. Um, Rory, so some of the some of the limitations or or issues that we had to um, deal with were particularly cow comfort. Um, so heat stress um, was it was quite an issue. Um, also feet um, cows standing on concrete for too long in the hot weather uh, under the shade of the feed pad and walking and, and stones and, and so forth. Mastitis was also becoming an issue with cows lying under trees and, and um, becoming infected that way. Um, and the other, the other thing, I think one of the bigger factors also was uh, just dry matter intake. So the cows were away for feed, on feed for too long in the day. And so therefore limiting their, um, their dry matter intake. So that was some of the issues that we... Um, had to address and, and really, I guess it was always our intention to add free stalls uh, to our system. And, and um, in around 2010, 11, it was, we decided to um, make, make that change and, and, and start, uh, start that process. So some of the things that are different about the farm now is that um, firstly, the area that was used for loafing paddocks and, and that was probably 120 acres or so is now gone into crop production and, and, um, and growing grain or soil crops for dairy, uh, which before was pretty much wasted and under, un, not utilised at all. Um, intakes have gone up by around nine, uh, four kilos of um, dry motor per cow per day, which, and, and, and on top of that, um, you know, the cooling uh, has made a big difference. Cow comfort, feet uh, issues have pretty much gone away Cell count is running at around 80,000 um, per year. Cows are producing around 45 to 46 litres per day. Um, so it, it's seen quite a, a significant change to our whole operation, particularly in the last um, three or four years where we've been able to um, 
fine tune the system, get our forages better, um, adding the dry cow, freeze to the barn and heifer rearing. It's all contributed now and we're seeing the benefits of those um, improvements. So, so I guess each one of those little things like the, um, the cow comfort issue or the, the, the feet problems on the concrete, you know, that are no longer such a big deal now that you've moved to the, the freestall barn is probably worth an incremental litre here and a litre there. So, so I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, what was your, your average litres per cow, say, before the freestall barn? You know, you said yeah. 546 at the moment. Yeah, so before the freestall barn, we were doing maybe around 33 to 35 litres per cow per day. So we've, um, we've seen an increase of at least this per cow per day um, by changing the system. And so over a herd and over a year, that's quite a significant amount of milk. Exactly, yeah. And just to clarify for listeners, before you built the freestall barn, you said you had your cows were on a feed pad, but was it still a system five type of an operation or did you have a grazing component that, that was no longer the case after you built the freestall barn or how was the farm running at that point? So it was a it was a, four, uh, a class five system um, in that with the cows the only food that they um, had access to was the TMR the the loafing paddocks were pretty much uh, a zero grazing they were just, they were exactly that loafing paddocks and which rotated around to keep them um, a little bit cleaner and um, so essentially it was a, a system five system um, where they were fully fed a TMR the issue was that um, because they weren't uh, right close to the feed, um, the cows, they, the only reason they would voluntarily come to the feed pad was to get away from the heat uh, rather than to, to come to um, feed. I see. So it's interesting there that e even though you were, you were operating uh, what, what would the industry would term as a system, you know, TMR um, fully, fully fed with, um, without any grazing components system 10 years ago, it's still the, the the difference in production and output is quite significant even within that system five compared to what you're doing now with the freestall barns. And um, do you did it, was there any other effects um, uh, that have changed? You know, I mean, you know, your, your your calving pattern is is I imagine all year round like a lot of New South Wales farmers. And um, uh, you know, as the cows have moved up to you know 45, 46 liters, have you seen any differences in fertility or? Um, you know, longevity of cows in the herd and things like that, are, are they pretty similar to what they were previously? Well, I think we've seen an improvement in fertility, um, particularly over the last few years. Um, fertility is something that is really important for a year-round calving herd. And so we aim to keep our average days in milk around 170 to 175 days all year round. So obviously fertility um, is really important for us, um, not only to, to replace herd self-replacing, but also to, to keep the daisy milk um, as close to optimum as possible. Um, so the herd is, uh, we, we have a surplus of heifers um, in our herd. We, we were able to, to sell off heifers, either the export market or, or um, pre-carved heifers. Uh, we've been able to do that regularly for the, for the last 10 years. So. I think they're kind of my measures of fertility in that the herd can be better than self-replacing and maintain a good dose of milk average. So um, some of the other issues, as we mentioned, um, the, the feet and legs and particularly the feet issues have, um, have significantly uh, changed and, and improved. Um, 
given given the fertility that we've been able to achieve and the and the and a number of peppers coming in, we we cull very heavily on um, on mobility cows at uh, any issues with walking. They're they're not suitable for for concrete and for to my housing. So they're certainly um, high on the cull list, and and, and um, yeah, that, that's probably one of the the key areas we would cull on is actually is mobility and, and feet and legs. Um, Somatic cell count or, or mastitis infection, I guess that's partly cow comfort and, and the freestyle system, but also as we've moved into um, higher production, we've had to change the way we are milking routines to, to make sure that uh, these cows are, you know, are really have a sterile milking environment and um, preparation and um, that sort of thing to uh, just to, yeah, control mastitis and infection. Yeah, it's clear that you're, you're really focused on a lot of the small things and cumulatively they, they add up to, to, you know, become something significant at the end of the, um, um, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the year, when you're looking at your total milk production, you know, like you mentioned, the um, aspects of um, the, your milking routine or, or other things like that are, are, you know, some farmers might consider them small things, but in the, in the broader scheme, all of the things add up to be, Quite important. I guess um, something else uh, that you're pretty keen on and people will be interested in is, you know, the forage component of your diet. Um, you know, it sounds like your cows are eating, you know, a fair bit of grain relative to the industry average. It's, you know, you know, per, per ton, how much grain would your cows eat versus, you know, forage? And where does that forage come from? Is it mainly homegrown on the farm, or, or do you have to buy in uh, much uh, purchase forage into the farm system? So we, uh, yeah, on our, on our, um, firstly our concentrates, um, good feed around 45% of our diet would be concentrates. Um, and concentrates being a, a grain mix of barley and wheat and uh, proto mills, which is canola meal. Um, the cows are, we're feeding now for about a little over maybe 27.3 kilos of dry matter um, with an intake of probably in the high 20s. So, um, so that gives you an idea of, of how much concentrates we do for you. Um, regarding our forages, um, yes, we grow all our own um, forages and uh, main forages that we grow for, for the milking herd are, is corn and lucerne. That's the, the forage that the, the milking herd uh, consumes, plus a little bit of straw. Um, the other forage that we grow is um, cereal solid. That's mainly for um, the heifers and the dry cows, uh, the, um, the cereal silage and, and maybe a little bit of loosened silage. Um, so you mentioned um, forage quality and, and really that's a pretty big um, and important part of our operation. Something that we focus on um, quite intensively right from our, our feed planning, uh, budgeting, um, uh, you know, agronomy side of our, our forages, cropping, um, irrigation, right through to the harvesting and storage and feedings is something we really have uh, focused on in the last few years and and, um, and with some coaching from our from a US-based consultant um, to ensure that what the cows eat is the highest quality, but also um, hygiene or cleanliness of forages is critical for us as well. To maintain, you know, healthy cows that, um, that are not... Uh, I guess impacted by um, contaminated foods at any time. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned, you know, it is very much reminds me of a US tile system with your lucerne and, and, and maize silage or corn silage as the, as the primary forage components. Um, you know, I, I imagine that you've, you've really tightened up on, you know, things like um, uh, wastage management of feed or, um, you know, the, 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 growth, uh, the growth stage of cutting of the, of the different forages just to make sure that you're not leaving anything behind you in terms of quality and quantity, um, you know, when you do grow your own feed, because I suppose ultimately that, that leads into, um, you know, a greater amount of profitability on the farm if, if you don't have to purchase that feed elsewhere. And on that, is there much forage purchased on the farm or is it mainly homegrown? Actually, Ro, we, we um, produce a surplus of forage and we probably sell around a thousand tonne of loosen a year on top of what we use at our dairy. And, and we've done that for the last um, six or seven years now. Um, and, and that is our, our um, basically our drought insurance policy that we, we ensure that we don't run short of food at the dairy. Uh, we've purchased additional land um, and, and start a bit of a, a loosen production system there that we, we sell calfing loosen chaff mill and, and that's just uh just to ensure that um we always have enough food for the dairy and and so um yeah you're right around our, our forage harvesting we particularly um, uh focused on harvesting at the right stage um particularly our loosen we we usually use our our early cuts of loosen um to uh come to the dairy as silage um yeah harvest that young loosen and, and uh, it, it, we drop it around 35% dry matter. Stored in concrete bunkers, lined with plastic, and pay a lot of attention to the covering and sealing of the of the silage bunker. And also, um, particularly in the feed out stage, where we we show the front of the bunker and keep the top well sealed um, to ensure that there's no loose solids left at the end of the feeding each day. Um, no. Uh, heat contamination of feeding of, of the food that's left in the bunker, and and we have uh, a nice clean face each day to work to. Um, that's particularly important. I guess it's important with all foliages, but but corn or maize silage is, is really important to have a well managed um, face and silage bunker. When it comes to harvesting our maize, um, again, dry matter is the key. Um, Determined when it comes to timing of harvest, uh, and, and again we aim for around that 35% dry matter uh, to ensure that we got the um, you know the highest level of starch, the best quality food, and uh, and if we can crack that between 34 and 36% dry matter, we know that we've got um, a year's worth of food that is high quality, and that's that, that, I think that's one of the beauties of of maize silage is that you know you get it right on that day, you're right for the rest of the year. Um, you have that food well stored and fed out. And, and so there's half our forages or a little over half our forages locked away. And we know that that's high quality. That's one of the, the advantages I think is of this um, uh, system, this TMR system that have a much more consistent and, and better quality forages, regardless of the seasonal conditions, you know, throughout the year. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that, that that that's something that applies to all systems, really. If you're growing something like maize or or indeed lucerne or any any forages, is trying to maximise the the quality and the quantity there. Um, in terms of the uh, the actual 
tons of dry matter growing per hectare. You know, I know it's a metric that's used a lot in pasture-based systems. It's probably worth, you know, you know, I, I, I'm guessing it's probably pretty high in your farm, given that maize silage would be a very high yielding crop. But what would that be typically on your overall um, cropping area, I guess, if you call it, as opposed to grazing area? And um, yeah, I suppose that, that's one question that, you know, people, people might be interested in, in, in knowing from, a, from, from the point of view of, pasture-based farming, which is a little bit different, and it's obviously an important metric on, on a pasture-based dairy farm. Yeah, that's, um, so intensive systems are often thought of as um, high inputs and um, high costs and, and you know, purchasing large amounts of forages or concentrates. Um, we've actually found it to be the exact opposite, really, in that because we've gone to an intensive system and because we harvest our crops mechanically, um, it's certainly allowed us to increase our um, our crop yields, our dry matter yields per hectare. And so typically on our corn ground, we grow a, a corn crop that will yield um, around 25 tonnes of dry matter. Um, that, then after the corn crop, we follow that with a, a winter cereal, such as um, a, a wheat, a forage wheat, um, and that, that will harvest uh, another 13 to 14 tonnes of of dry matter per hectare. So, so we are actually getting pretty close to um, 40 tonnes of dry matter per hectare off our corn ground. Um, it's a lot more than you would get under a grazing system. Um, in terms of our loosen, we, we rotate our loosen around every four years, but typically um, we would achieve around a 20 tonnes of dry matter per hectare harvested uh, from our loosen. As I said earlier, um, probably um, well over half of that is, is ends up being sold anyway, but the, the best come to the dairy as silage and, and then we do the cuts over the middle of the summer with the, you know, the hottest month where the quality may be a little bit less, um, is made into hay and, and, and sold uh, into the, the horse um, industry. Um, I think, um, Roy, that, uh, you know, as we, as we increase our tonnes of raw matter per hectare, it reduces our costs of paper. And that's, I think, the important um, number there. It, everything becomes a little bit more um, intense, I suppose, and efficient. But uh, one of the key things that um, is, is talked about a lot these days is water use efficiency. And um, so all of our crops are, are grown under irrigation and uh, center period irrigation from the Lockham River or for some bores. Um, but just doing some, some calculations there and um, we're currently achieving around six to 7,000 litres of milk per megalitre of water used. Um, that also includes the water used at the dairy. So we probably use hundred megs or so through the dairy for, um, <clears throat> excuse me, cleaning um, and drinking water. So um, yeah, that, that's about our, our water use efficiency at that point. Yeah, that would be pretty high, I guess. Even even roughly off the top of my head, converting that into tons of dry matter per per megalitre, it's it's probably three, four average or something like that, possibly even more, which we, yeah. you would be happy with, I imagine. You know, for most mm. for I think farmers it, who might have a limitation on the amount of irrigation water they have access to, it could be uh, a bit more challenging. But is that something that's an issue for you guys, or have you got security of, of irrigated water in the long term? Basis? Oh no, I think water. Um, issue for everywhere, uh, probably 
um, and, and particularly, you know, in our area, we um, we are subject to very variable um, flows in the in the in the Wyangla Dam and the Lachlan River, um, and we've just come out of a uh, a year where there's been zero allocation and our high security and bore water that's got us through, and and then the Millennium Drought. I think we went five years with zero allocation. So, I think. If one thing you learn from those types of years and droughts is that you do need to be very efficient with the water that you have. And, and that's why we've, we've gone to this um, end system is to achieve high yields of dry matter um, per megalitre of water. And, um, and that, that, that's something that uh, the system has allowed us to do. Yeah, I guess um, just changing track a little bit then, uh, Colin, what would you say are the, the key profit drivers for for this type of system, which is, you know, obviously from, from listening to you, it requires a high level of technical expertise to, to operate successfully. Uh, and, and that's pretty clear from, from listening to you talk. But also for farmers who might maybe, you know, I'm thinking of places like North Victoria where um, the traditional system to operation where you irrigate perennial ryegrass over summer is kind of becoming more, much more challenging. And, and they may be, you know, looking towards something like yours, if, if not, Quite as advanced as that, and um, what would be the, the pitfalls for those guys as well? I guess there's kind of two questions there, but you can you can yeah. help both of them. There's a there's a yeah there is a few questions there, Roy. But um, so going back to um, the key profit drivers, I think there's two for us really to make it really simple, and it's production per cow and tons of dry matter per hectare. They're the two things that really drive um, our system and. and why we get both of those, the more profitable the system is. There's no question about that. But underneath that, there are a lot of other little things as we've sort of been talking about that, that all sort of um, contribute to production per cow and production per hectare. And um, things like our management, like our cow comfort, um, our fertility, uh, our efficiencies, and uh, all those kind of things, um, water crop timing, um, all those sort of things that contribute to, to those two things being um, as efficient and as high as we can get them. But that, uh, that really is at the top of the tree when we, uh, to, that would determine our level of, of profit from, from the business. Um, so you might have to repeat the second part of that question. Really. Yeah, and um, basically, yeah, that, that's a good, good answer um, to the first part there, Colin. But I was just asking about farmers who, you know, in that maybe Northern Victoria region who might be thinking about a system like this or, or moving more, a little bit more along in that direction to maybe get better utilization of water or whatever. Um, what would you see as the kind of main challenges for those guys? And obviously you came from a, a system five already where you didn't really have a grazing component and you merged mm -hmm. to what's a freestyle barren type operation now. Um, but in your opinion, what would be the main challenges facing farmers in that scenario at the moment? Mm -hmm. I think um, the main challenges that those farmers will be facing will be very similar to the ones that we face um, in that they'll realise that they have got to the limits of their current system and are looking for ways to make a system more efficient and more sustainable. And, and that's pretty much where we were. Um, and that's what, you know, that was the motivation behind um, pushing towards this system is that um, we realised that we had uh, reached limits of, of what we were doing. So some of the the um, the really important things are um, is having a 
I guess, a system, a well-designed system to start with. That, that's um, that, that's obviously a bit of um, capital outlay to to um, start up to to have uh, you know cows housed and and full term feeding and, and so forth. Um, some of the key pitfalls that I see, you know, farmers up against all the time is number one is probably um, having a really solid feed plan that can produce enough food for the dairy for four months, regardless of the seasonal conditions. That was one of my key motivators. So we went through the millennium drought, and and to be quite honest, it almost took us out because we just couldn't grow enough food, and and so we decided to do something about that. So I think that's one of the most um, crucial things. This system, no matter how good it is, won't operate or won't work um, if we don't have a continual supply of high quality. And so I think that's the number one um, issue for me anyway, is to ensure that we, um, farmers need to ensure they have some way of ensuring that they, they never run out of food. Uh, the cows are always fully fed of the best quality food that they can provide. And and, um, and, and really, you, you put a cow in a comfortable, cool position and give her as much as she eats, you can eat. Um, it's amazing what uh, she can do with that. So to me, I think that, that is number one, is, is, um, is recognising how much food your farm can produce under the ideal conditions or conditions that, uh, that you currently have and working cow numbers back from there. Yeah. In terms of just out of interest, uh... The grain that you buy, you said 45% of the diet is, is concentrates. Um, is, is that all of that, is some of that homegrown or do you grow your own wheat or barley or anything like that? Or is it mainly purchased grain that, that's that component of the diet? Depends a little bit on the, on the season. This year, um, obviously we're having a, a pretty bumper season and, and we'll grow probably 60% of our own grain, uh, wheat and barley. Um, Basically, any area on our farm that's not irrigated, growing irrigated crops gets planted to wheat or barley, or we rotate with canola and swap it out with grain. But um, that's one thing, or another, as I mentioned earlier, is that we've been able to um, convert areas of the farm that were very underutilised, roofing paddocks, heifer grazing paddocks, into cropping paddocks now that um, produce um, grain. And, and so yeah, we are able to um, grow a considerable amount of our own constant or grain. Um, and also along with that is we do utilise a fair amount of straw through the dairy, both for um, bites and for um, cows and, and so forth. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's um, is, is significant saving as well. One thing we probably haven't um, touched on really is uh, possibly our airflow system and the key thing for a, an intensive system is to utilise all the resources and effluent is something that we've been um, upgrading continually over the last 10 years uh, to the point now we, um, we are able to utilise all of that effluent in three separate streams um, and, and to utilise that to the benefit of, um, in some cases, no fertiliser under um, some of our grain growing areas. We, we, we desludge our ponds twice a year prior to planting cereal crops, and, and that's the only fertiliser those crops are getting. Um, we also irrigate the, um, the liquid out on, on summer crops, um, which is usually then sold as hay, uh, such as sorghum or things like that that can tolerate the, the high nutrient and salt load. Um, and the third stream is uh, the solids that are separated under a, a solid separator 
are then composted and, and they go under the corn corn every year. What are the the primary costs uh, on your farm or, or things that contribute most to the cost of production on the farm? Um, well, obviously, feed costs are, are probably our, our biggest costs, and, and feed costs include all their growing costs and purchase concentrates and, and things like that. But that's something that I, I guess probably the, the, the costs that concern me the most are the costs that we have very little control over. And, um, you know, we can become uh, more efficient in our crop production and, you know, our mill volumes and all that sort of thing. But it is a cost like power, fuel, water, chemicals, um, all those sort of things that are creeping up every year. And, and unless unless our business is becoming more efficient and, and growing in that way, then these costs can uh, erode away any profits that um, you might hope to make. And, and so I think we really need to be ahead of the curve there in terms of those costs that we have no control over. And and sometimes that's frustrating. Like it, And I guess pair is one of those frustrating things that that we continually upgrade uh, systems as variable drives, solar um, production, all that sort of thing. But yet our power bill still seems to uh, keep ahead of that and, and, and grow. So um, yeah, I, I think that you know, obviously there is some correction from time to time in milk prices, but generally those costs are, are increasing quicker than uh, milk prices are. So we do need to be very mindful of that, and, and that's why I believe that we do you know, need to be more efficient. Uh, we need to utilise our um, resources that we have, such as land, food, water, cows, uh, to the best possible way to really keep um, a sustainable industry growing. Yeah, I, I was just thinking there when you were talking like about, you know, the, the need to keep ahead of the costs. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, you sell around a thousand tonnes of lucerne um, every year or, or equivalent forage, I guess, um, a surplus forage, you could say. Have you ever been tempted or considered, you know, putting on more cows or is there a limitation elsewhere that it doesn't allow you to do that to maybe not have to sell so much of that forage and, and milk more cows? Or is that, I'm sure that's crossed your mind. Is there a reason why you do or don't do that? Actually, it hasn't crossed my mind, but it's a question I often get asked. Um, yeah, so we've built our, our system around the, the current number of cows. Um, one thing about increasing cow numbers, you don't just pile on extra cows without additional um, capital expense, and so everything has to grow uh, when you put in extra cows. So we've been more focused on um, improving the efficiency of our current cow numbers, and as indicated, we've, we've seen a, um, a growth when we started here, you know, almost 20 years ago, um, we were producing around 2.3 million litres. And uh, we've grown that to a little over 5 million litres this year. So that has been our growth while maintaining the same number of cows pretty much over that time. The, um, the loosened production has been a, a business growth. Um, it's another income stream for us, as has, um, for example, using uh, selling or growing our little um, bulls for, for a feedlot market and, and another little income stream for us. And so, we are, we are more focused not on, we're certainly focused on growing our production and our total output, but we, we have uh, very consistent um, on our cow numbers. And, um, and while this farmer is, it could well support, you know, expansion in that area, um, I guess it's kind of, I just think I've uh, spent enough time 
building sheds and pouring concrete. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair uh, um, point of view, Colin. I think you, you've achieved a lot already um, uh, in your system over the last uh, you know couple of decades, really. Um, I think that's probably you know a, a good summary. I mean, I could sit here all day talking to you about other aspects of the of the business and um, what uh, in the interests of the length of the podcast, we probably better um, uh, wrap it up. But um, you know, like I think overall to summarize, it's it's a really good. You know, insight into what is um, you know a highly technical dairy farming system, and and, and something that you know a good example of a of a well-run system five operation. You know that that, that can be really profitable, I guess, and, and, and really productive and really successful um, for for the industry. And we, we probably will see more more examples of this in in, in the future. Actually, um, so it, it you know one of the comments that I often get. Yeah, particularly from our staff and people that come from other dairying system, you know, grazing system, is that the system is actually really simple. Um, there is nothing complicated or um, high tech about it. Really, it's and it's very consistent. So, um, you know, what, as long as we consistently have feed, and um, I, I kind of view our two operations, our farming operations, our dairy operations, a little bit separate, and dairy actually becomes just like a little, uh, I guess, self-contained. Uh, milk production system and, and so long as we provide the food there the dairy keeps ticking along and um, and once we get systems in place and staff trained and, and they follow protocols um, it really is a very simple system because it doesn't change and that's the thing that makes it simple is that um, everything uh, is the same from from one day to the next and, and um, we all know that that uh, cows love it that way in their environment and their diet, um, that's how we get the maximum production. And that's what makes the system quite simple. Thanks to Colin for sharing those insights into how he's built a profitable and sustainable dairy business. As I said in the intro, I think there are lessons for all farmers from this conversation, regardless of the system employed on your farm. You can find plenty more information about Total Mix Ration Systems at dairyaustralia.com.au. Well, that's it for this episode. As always, you can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to providing plenty more good content from Dairy Pod in 2021.